0: know sometimes words take away. So thank you Dan. We're going to be in the book of Jeremiah today and the book of Luke and you'll see the connection in a moment but Luke chapter 6 We're in a series in the Gospel of Luke. And last week we began to look at what was Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Begins in uh, chapter 6, verse 20. And you might remember in chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus had spent the whole night praying about who would be his special 12 disciples, these people who are going to follow him and then become the mouthpieces for the early church they're going to be his microphone after his resurrection and he takes them to uh, a place where he has this long teaching it begins in verse 20 and then ends at the end of the chapter and what he's doing here is he's adjusting their expectations these young men probably 16 to 24 years old just try to imagine that in your mind 16, 17, 18, 20-year-old young men following Jesus. This is his little team. This is the Jesus team. And all the ideas they have in their mind about what it's going to be like to follow this guy and all the expectations they have. And he wants to adjust their expectations, and he does so in this rather long teaching. And we looked at this last week, and what Jesus does, right at the very beginning, as he said, I just want to contrast four character traits. The the people who follow me, they're going to have these kinds of character traits. The people who follow after the ways of the world, they're going to have these kinds of character traits. And you can see them there, they're blessings and woes. The Jesus way. These are the things that should characterize the followers of Jesus because he called these young men, come follow me. Come follow me. This is what your life should look like. Poor, hungry, weeping, and excluded. Okay, so you can just imagine these young men going, "Mm, that wasn't the list I had in my mind. Uh, that that I have to adjust my expectation. I, I had a little bit of a different list, and maybe it was the list of the world, which come out as woes. And again, if you remember, not they're not meant to be like threats or curses. They're more like sadness. Oh. Oh, you you went down that road. Oh, that's not a good road to go down. It's it's a, a sense of regret. Woe to those who are rich or full, or gloating, or approved of. Now last week we really focused on the first three in each one, and I want to do uh, this morning just look at the last one. So let's look at verse 22. Blessed are those, this is the character trait of those who are going to follow Jesus. And and remember, he's specifically looking, his eyes are on his disciples. You see that in verse 20. Blessed are you, you 12. Now they don't know it, but when when I go away, you're going to be the microphones. You're going to be the mouthpieces. And this is what I need you to, to expect. Not all the time, but some of the time, people are going to hate you. And they're going to exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of me, the Son of Man. You're going to say you're a Jesus person. You're a Jesus follower. You're on Team Jesus. And sometimes that's going to be fine. People won't notice. Maybe there'll be some sort of benefit at different times. But you can anticipate at some point people saying, oh, okay, we don't want that here. And you're going to be hated or excluded or reviled or spurned. At that, when that happens, verse 23, rejoice. <laughs> hard to do. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in, circle that word, heaven. It's not, your reward isn't going to be right now. It's not going to be next weekend. If you, if you have a really hard weekend this weekend, don't worry, next weekend. No, it's, it's in heaven. Great is reward in heaven. So, for so their fathers did to the prophets. In other words, this isn't anything new. This has been happening all through time. People who are the mouthpieces of God, these Old Testament prophets, when they stood up and said, hey, this is the, the way the Lord wants us to work, a lot of the times they got a lot of pushback. But woe to you, verse 26 now, when all people speak well of you, be, be careful if you're following me. If everyone you're around, nobody disagrees. That, that's going to be a sadness. It's, again, it's not a threat. It just means you're going in the wrong direction. If, if you feel like you've, you're building a life where everyone thinks everything you're doing is okay, you're probably on the wrong road. Is what Jesus is trying to say. And this is exactly what happened from their fathers, their ancestors. They, they gave uh, accolations to uh, the false prophets. There were teachers, this may be hard to believe, who would stand up in the temple and just tell the people what they wanted to hear. Can you imagine that? They wouldn't actually speak the truth, they would just say, Hey, I'm reading the room. And this room's not going to like this passage, so we'll sort of water it down or skip over it or something like that. So when I get to the end, when I'm doing the greeting, everybody goes, oh, what a fine sermon. And everybody's happy. If you're a mouthpiece for Jesus, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, whoa, if that's the road you're on. If you choose to follow, if you just choose to say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus... I believe that he alone is the savior of the world. Then there's there's gonna be times that you're hated, you're excluded. The the Greek here, this word means marking off as a boundary. Hey, you, you're coming into the world, and in our world you're not welcome. And it could be in your home, it could be in your office, could be in your neighborhood. Hey, we don't, that, you know, that belief, we're not, we're not into that. There's a boundary here. You're on the outside. One of the missions that we're going to support in the missions offering is for India. And I'll say something about that next week. But there's a pastor there named Pastor Nathan. Very, you would immediately like Pastor Nathan. He's one of these guys that just, everybody's his friend. And when he became a Christian, he was thrown out of his home and out of his town. He was not able to come back. Now, just, let's just try to think about that for a moment. You, you decide to become a follower of Jesus today, and somehow at the bridge and at our I-40, there's some sort of booth there that if you try to get in, they say, sorry, you, you can't come back. You're not physically welcome. It's a boundary. You're excluded just because you said yes to Jesus. Now, we're not going to have that in Wilmington, but you're going to have that in your own relationships at points where somebody says, hey, you know what? Because you follow Jesus and you believe that, uh, you're on the outside. You're reviled. You're spurned. Again, this has a word picture it means hissing an actor off the stage. Isn't that helpful? You say what you believe. Oh, you're off the stage. Like, we don't want you on the stage. We, you, the congregation, don't want someone to say the truth up here. So you go, no, we don't want that kind of person to tell the truth. We want the kind of person who tells us what we like. Or you, you're inside the circle, and then they they find out what you really believe, and you go, ah, psst, ah, hey, don't get around him or her. No, they're they're hissed off the stage. They're they're excluded. They're on the outside. Again, I'm just trying to imagine for the disciples, what are they thinking right here? Hmm, I want to reconsider that call. Come follow me, Jesus is. Making it crystal clear. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be moving against the ways and the wisdom of the world. You're going to be going against the stream. And you can expect that you're not going to be celebrated at times. You're going to be excluded. And he says, then take warning. Don't become like the false prophets. We see, everybody wants to be liked. That's a human intuition and when you, when you find out, hey, I'm not being liked for what I believe, don't become like the false prophets. Don't become a fake. That, that'd be like the worst thing you could do is say that you follow Jesus, but then when you get into those certain circles, you sort of become a fake. Don't, don't do that. Don't water down God's word just so people would speak well of you. Then Jesus' illustration is these Old Testament prophets. This isn't anything new. And most commentators would say they think that Jesus has in mind the prophet Jeremiah. He's the kind of prophet that he wants his followers to model themselves after. And in Jeremiah's day, there are false prophets, people who say they speak for the Lord, but really they just want to be liked. And so I want to just turn back and take a little look at Jeremiah. It's going to be hard to kind of get Jeremiah, a very big book and a very big person, into three points. Um, But I've titled the sermon, Jeremiah, a model for us to follow. Jesus is trying to say, be like the old, true Old Testament prophets. And of course, they know what that means, but you and I might not know what that means. So we're going to just take a look at Jeremiah and consider three character traits of Jeremiah. What would it look like for us to follow Jesus like Jeremiah followed the Lord? So let me just do a little tiny little background. Don't fall asleep here. But listen for the bookends of the story. In around 1500 BC, Moses leads the people out of uh, Egypt, out of slavery. So they cross the Red Sea, they wander through the desert, and all all through that time, they're constantly reminded, look, do not go back to Egypt. I mean, you've been finally set free, and there's going to be some pressure for you to want to go back at different points, but whatever you do, don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to your old life. Keep following and trusting the Lord. About 500 years later, Israel decides they want to have kings rule over them. And so they have a series of three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And under Solomon's reign, the people and the king himself began to distance themselves from God's word. And so the the country of Israel the leadership particularly, falls into sort of a spiritual decline, a uh, decay. And following Solomon's reign, Israel splits into two. They have a civil war. So it's north and south, just like our history. The north is Israel and the south is Judah. And if you read through the history of Israel, the northern kingdom, they just have one bad king after another. And in 722, a great empire takes them over. And really the same thing happens in the south Judah just a few years later in 586. So let's try to think of this book in. In 1500 Moses gets the people out of slavery and says don't go back. Now we're about 900 years later and Judah is this in this downward spiral. And this is the spiral that Jeremiah lives in. He lives He was born into a decaying society that goes down. Can you imagine that? Being born into a culture that's past its prime, and it's decaying, and his whole lifetime it's going down. There's no up for Jeremiah, it's only down. Jeremiah is born into this, and he's specifically assigned in this decaying society to speak the truth. It's not complicated. It's very hard. But it's not complicated. The word Jeremiah means to hurl or throw. It's a great word picture. God looks at a decaying society and says, I need to pick somebody up and throw them in. Jeremiah, how would you like to have that assignment? I need somebody who's going to be in a decaying society that's never going to come back. Like in your lifetime, you're not going to say, well, I got hurled in, and then because of God's using my voice, it came back. That's not what happens. It keeps going down. 600 years later, Jesus picks up 12 men and says, I'm hurling you into the world. And I'm giving you an assignment. It's not, it's not difficult, but it's going to be hard. I just want you to stand up and tell people what I say. What's written down. But I want you to know, because of it, you're going to be hated. You're going to be excluded. You're going to be hissed off life's stage Just like Jeremiah was. So Jeremiah is hurled into this group of people. And they go down. And Judah is ransacked in 586. And there's just a small group of Israelites left. And they're in Jerusalem. Everything's sort of just broken down. If you think about uh, these pictures I'm sure you've seen with the, hurt, the tornadoes that have gone through Kentucky, you've probably seen some of these things. That's, that's what Jerusalem looks like, just everything broken down, and just a few people sort of wandering around, and Jeremiah's one of these few people, and he's wandering around, and he's been telling people this was going to happen, and he gets this little group, this little band back together, and he says to them, I have, one, I have just one more sermon. And I want to look at that just briefly here. And you can turn with me or you can listen either way. Here's his sermon, verse 40, chapter 42, verse 10. This ragtag group of people who have been left behind. If you remain in this land, I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. chapter 42 now verse 11 don't fear the king of babylon i know he's powerful but don't be afraid for i am with you i'm going to save you i'm going to deliver you i'm going to grant you mercy verse 12 and he will let you stay in the land verse 13 but if you say we will not remain in the land and disobey the voice of the lord and say no no we're going to go down to egypt where we won't see war and we won't hear the sound of the trumpet or we won't have famine, we won't be hungry and we'll be able to dwell in safety there. Then hear the word of the Lord. This is Jeremiah speaking to the remnant. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you in the land of Egypt. And the famine which you're afraid of is going to follow after you. And there in Egypt, you will die. This is his last sermon. And do you think they pay attention? Oh, so sad. No. I mean, he's got all this data to say you've been listening to me the whole time, and everything I've said is factually happened. And I'm just going to give you this one last sermon. And then they reply with this, verse, chapter 43. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, the words of the Lord, these leaders in verse 2, chapter 43, you're telling a lie. Hmm. The Lord our God did not send you to say, don't go down to Egypt and live there anymore. And then if you read down a little bit further, they take this remnant, and they dragged Jeremiah back down to Egypt. And history says Jeremiah was killed in Egypt. He was stoned to death by his own people. In Egypt. You see the bookends? ends? You're free from Egypt. Whatever you do, don't go back. And then Jeremiah, he's the one that gets hurled into this decaying society. And he's saying, whatever we do, don't go back to Egypt. And he gets dragged back and he gets killed by his own people. Not the Egyptians. His friends, supposedly, his congregation. So this is Jeremiah's life. And I would suggest this is the kind of person Jesus is suggesting in Luke chapter 6. This is the kind of person you need to follow after. One, because I don't need to make the parallels. How, how many lines run from Jeremiah to Jesus' own life? And Jesus is saying, this disciples, this is going to be your life. Briefly, three things that we can learn from Jeremiah, a toughness, a tenacity. If you were to look back in chapter one, uh, God says to Jeremiah, verse 16, let me just read a few verses for you, and I will declare my judgments against them. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, for all their evil and forsaking me, and what they've done is they've made offerings to other gods. They haven't forgotten about God, they've just added other gods. Can you imagine that? I mean, I haven't forgotten about the Lord, but you know, there's some other things over here that can really help me, so I'm going to serve them too. I mean, in case God can't sort of come through for me, I've got my thing over here that can help me. And that's what's happening. And he says, uh, but dress yourself for work, be ready. Arise and say to them everything I've commanded you. Don't be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, I'm going to make you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. Is this this the assignment you would want? You're going to be in such a place that you're going to have to be an iron pillar. went on a mission trip to Peru. Some, a few of you were with me on this trip. It was several years ago. And when you walk down the streets, these houses, little A-frame houses, they have a cross on top of them. And then I noticed some other things on top of the roof that I just, I was like, what is that? And I was with the missionaries and there were a couple of bulls, a, a ladder, little you know, these are little, and some bottles I was like, what's the whole thing with the cross, the bottles, the bulls? And they say, well, this house is ruled by the things on the roof. And so what they're saying at the top, sort of at the center, is Jesus, the cross. They're they're faithful followers of, of Christ, they would say. And then underneath the cross are these other little things. Like, in case the cross doesn't work, I've got the bulls up there. That's fertility, that's prosperity. And the latter is increasing prosperity. I don't want to just be prosperous. I want my prosperity always to be increasing. And I want to have a fun life. So I have these little bottles of alcohol up there. Imagine if what you really followed was on your roof. I mean, you know, you and I, most of us here are going to say, I've just got the cross at the top. But I just wonder if a true representation of what you have sort of put your hope in was represented on the top of your roof. what, What else might be up there? And the missionaries say the hardest thing about doing evangelism in this culture is if you say, let me tell you about Jesus. They go, well, I already know about Jesus. But you see, they're they're fake. They fooled themselves. They're just like these people Jeremiah has to come to. And Jeremiah is going to have to be tough in these times. He's going to have to dress himself for work. He's going to have to get ready. It says, Do not be dismayed. Don't and really in that in the Hebrew it means don't be afraid of their faces. Like when you go out and preach and you tell somebody. Have my face in your mind, not their face. Quite a few dismaying things happen to Jeremiah. Probably the hardest thing that happens to him. I just want to read it to you. It's in chapter 38, verse 3. Jeremiah gets kicked out of his own hometown. Some other things happen, but listen to this description. Thus says the Lord. This is Jeremiah, near the end of his life in Jerusalem. This city shall surely be given into the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the officials said to the king, Let this man be put to death. He is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left, and all the hands of the people. For this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. And then the king said, Behold, he is in your hands. So they took Jeremiah. And they cast him into a cistern. This big, big air. um, Think of a big jar that holds water for the city. Which was in the courtyard. And they let Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern. Only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. I mean, when you're. In a cistern, sinking in the mud, you better have God's face in front of you. Not the face of the person who's lowering you down. When Jesus is talking to his 12 rookie disciples, he's trying to help them understand this is the kind of exclusion I'm talking about. And you need to be ready. You need to get yourself ready. It's going to take some toughness to follow after Jesus. And we can learn that from Jeremiah. Secondly, we're going to have to be people of the truth. There's a book, uh, Rod Dreher, I think the title of it is Live Not By Lies. And it's a t- the title of the book is taken from a speech by Alexander Solzhenitsyn saying, the hardest thing to live in the Russian gulag uh, was to not believe the lies. And he said, I couldn't, as a person, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, stand up against the whole mechanism of this Russian communist atheistic viewpoint. I couldn't, I couldn't overthrow them. But one thing I could do is I just wouldn't live by lies. I just wouldn't acknowledge a lie. That was my one sort of, one little protest. I could just live by the truth myself. I, maybe it would not have much of an effect, but I just wouldn't live by a lie. And Jeremiah is looking to this audience, and let's remember, he's looking to people inside the church, not people outside. And he's saying to them, the Lord says, you're faking it. You're fooling yourself. And the Lord sees it. Jeremiah chapter 7 is probably one of his fam- most famous sermons. It's called the Temple Sermon. And what God instructs them to do is said, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to preach this this day. But instead of going to the temple, let's take your pulpit and put it at the front door. So instead of, you know, halfway through the service, you get up and say something. Just start your sermon right when they start walking in from their cars or their chariots or whatever. So he starts the sermon. Try to imagine this. You're coming through the front doors and the pulpit's there. And Jeremiah's there saying, hey, the Lord's seen you all week. I mean, I don't think this is seeker-friendly message, is it? I'm just visiting the church. I mean... Hey, I've seen you all week. I've seen what you've been doing. Verse 9, you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, and go after false gods. This is a list, a partial list of the Ten Commandments. See, I see it, he says. Behold, I see it myself. I see your ways don't match your words. And this is what they would do. They would come in and sing this song. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord, like a contemporary praise music. And they would think, hey, I'm in a safe position. And Jeremiah is saying, you're not safe. To compound the problem inside the temple, according to Jeremiah 8, 11, says this, prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it's not serious. See, the reason I have to meet you at the front door is because when you get inside, the people are on the inside, they're going to say you're okay. And you're not okay. And I have to tell you the truth. You're not okay. You're faking it. And when you get inside, nobody's going to be able to tell. But the Lord sees. He can see it. And he doesn't want you to live that way. Woe to you. Not, it's not a threat. It's a sadness. You had something and, and now you've lost it. Come, please come back. The one place that people might be shaken out of their sin is the church. And instead they hear from the pulpit a counterfeit version of faith. They hear their problems are cosmetic. They dress the wounds of my people as though it's not serious, so everyone can go uh, go home happy. But Jeremiah's not afraid to tell the truth, because he knows that's the only way to healing. I don't know if you know this uh, podcast that's um, just come out in the last couple of months, "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." Very sobering podcast about a megachurch, if you don't know anything about it, out in Seattle, Washington. And you can listen to it. It's, it's, it's a sobering account of sin, power, just lack of self-control, lack of accountability in a church. And there's some very touching accounts of the people who got caught up in it in some form or another. And one guy says this, one guy who was on the pastoral staff who got swept up in this counterfeit version of the gospel, he says, if Jesus came today in America, we would do the same thing to him the Jewish leaders did. Because we have a counterfeit version of faith. It's based on other values than what Jesus had. If Jesus showed up, He wouldn't keep us in power the way we want to be so we would kill him. If Jesus showed up, we wouldn't be in power positions. We wouldn't be in control. I don't believe we need to break up with Jesus, he says. This is what I really appreciate about this guy. In other words, let's just not walk out of the church and break up with the church. Now, I don't think we need to break up with Jesus. We need to break up with our version of Jesus. That has become so distorted and deceived by adopting the world's values. So let's not look around. Let's look within. Where where are you? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You look okay to me. You look great to me. I love seeing you. I love that we're all together. I love seeing you come in. I love greeting you at the door. But I don't don't know if you're okay. I can't tell. I want you to be, but if you're a fake, you could fake me out. You could fake yourself out. And hear this. come, Come back. The, the road you've chosen is a bad road. Jeremiah knows he has to have a toughness. He knows he has to say the truth. And the third and final point, he has to do it with tenderness and tears. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations. Whole book about weeping. He says in Jeremiah chapter nine, "Oh that my head were like a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears! I would weep day and night for the slain sin of my people." You you feel that with Jeremiah when you run into Jeremiah, even when he's at the temple door saying, "Hey, the Lord sees you." It's it's through a compassion. It's through tears. And if you and I and the disciples who are following Jesus are going to be the mouthpiece for truth, you and I must have the mouth, mouthpiece for truth with eyes full of tears. Not judgment. We're, we're not called to scatter into the, all the earth and go, See, you're a sinner. No. <laughs> Is that what Jesus did to you? No, you, you go in and you say, I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm here to be sad that I think you might have chosen a road that ends in a cul-de-sac. It's not going to end up like you want. And if you choose it, I'm still going to try to love you. And I'm going to be tearing up, hoping that you would follow Jesus. This is the example that Jesus, I think, is pointing to for his disciples. And they're going to get an upfront look at how Jesus himself did it. You remember when Jesus, when he comes into Jerusalem for the last time, he's riding on a donkey. Remember this? And what is everybody saying? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Three days later, what are they saying? You have a heart like this? I'm very familiar with this kind of heart. One day shouting Hosanna. And one day saying I, I need my way. I want power. I understand this. And Jesus when he's riding in on the donkey. What is he doing? He's weeping. I see. I'm sad. And I'm going to take your place. Because you can't do it. This is, this is what he's called all of us who are followers of Jesus to do. It's going to take some toughness. You're going to get excluded. You're going to have to say, look, I just trust this is the truth. And it may put me on the outside of our relationship or outside of the business or outside of my family. But I can't give in. But I can be sad about. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for your word that somehow we've come to get guidance from Jesus and Jeremiah today and not Paul Phillips. Our, our souls have been lifted up in your presence. Hear the angel voices. Fall on your knees. But we have such fickle hearts. And I pray that you would help us, help us to be ready, to get ourselves ready, to be willing to be excluded, to be on the outside, to, to stand for the truth, but do it in a way that every person that puts us on the outside would see tears flowing and sadness and hope. That they would meet the Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.